Welcome to the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 40-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Bliss Brook. When it comes to success in network marketing, who better to learn from than leaders who have actually done it? Listen as Richard interviews top leaders and gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how they did it. You'll get incredible tips and duplicable actions you can do right now to build your own four-year career. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's easy-to-use tools that will help propel your network marketing business to the next level at blissbusiness.com. Hey everybody, Richard Blissbrook here. Welcome to another Hero Call. We have an extraordinary story for you tonight, one that's gone on, um, gosh, 25 years almost, uh, a lady that has built an extraordinary business all over the world, the first time she's ever done network marketing she did it from a little tiny town, which we'll tell you about, in Kansas. And she hit the numbers just the way we teach people to do it. She's got an extraordinary reputation in her company. She is highly loved, highly revered, highly respected. And she's going to tell you how she did it and how you can do it and what it's like to live an abundance like this. And like every Hero Call, i got to tell you, what we do on Hero Calls is we interview the extraordinary. We don't interview the average. We interview the extraordinary leader. And so if you're listening to this and asking yourself, well, does this mean that I am going to have the same level of success that people are, that are interviewed on the Hero Call are going to have? No, it does not. It does mean that you can. So we, we, we interview extraordinary people on the Hero Call so that you can hear and learn to believe what's possible, not so much so that you can accomplish what they've accomplished. Because if you followed these heroes around their first four or five or six years, you would find that they enjoyed an extraordinary price for their success, one that you're, you may not be willing to pay. The reason we interview extraordinary people is so that we can cover the full range of what you want to accomplish. So if we're interviewing somebody that earns $20,000 a month, that person is qualified to teach you how to believe that you can earn $500. If you want to earn $1,000 a month, you can learn it from a person that earning, that's earning $20. If, if you want to earn $20, you can learn it from a person earning $20 or a lot more. So we look for people around the world that have not only done extraordinary things in network marketing, but they've done it in legitimate, substantial companies that have been around a long time, companies that really represent the opportunity of residual income for people in our profession. And they're people that we handpicked based on their reputation and our due diligence that they've done it ethically. They've done it as a champion of the profession. They've, profession. they've done it collaborating with their peers in the industry as opposed to competing with the peers in the industry. So tonight we have the opportunity to uh, interview one such of those leaders, and she's got a beautiful, uh, heartwarming story, one that you can learn and a, a great deal from. This is arrow call number 83 three years running now, every two or three weeks we interview somebody. You're going to love her story, and I think most importantly what you're going to love is what is she doing with her life now that she's made it? Like what does this life of love and abundance and servant leadership look like? So today you get to hear from not only than Valerie Edwards from Paola, Kansas. Valerie? Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. We're honored <laughs> to have you on. So tell everybody, where are you in the world today? 
I'm actually at home today for a few hours, and then I'm headed to Kansas City to be close to the airport for a 5 a.m. flight out tomorrow to Savannah. To Savannah, and what are you going to do in Savannah? Well, I gifted two of my national vice presidents a trip to Savannah uh, just for to show them how much I appreciate them, and we're actually going to go spend the weekend with one of my dear friends and mentors, uh, Dana Collins, who's also with Arbonne. So we're going to go spend the weekend with her. Awesome. What a great yeah. opportunity for those two leaders. Dana will show you the town. I know she's <laughs> got to be like anybody that would go anywhere near there. She would be an incredible hostess, and she's an amazing leader herself. One of the first people we interviewed uh, on the Hero Series, uh, years ago. So Valerie, tell us your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family, and what were you doing before you found network marketing? Okay. Well, I um, am now a mother of three. So when I started my business, um, I actually started in March of 2002. So I was 25 years old, married with a one and a three-year-old daughter. And um, was a stay-at-home mom. I actually ran a licensed daycare business in my home, had eight kids that I watched plus my two. And then for fun, I would teach a 5 a.m. toning and aerobic class at our local gym. And then I would run home after that was done and have my first little girl start coming at 6 in the morning. And I did that for about three years. Um, so almost 12 hours a day for about three years. And um, was looking for something, uh, something to make some additional income because my husband and I were a little paycheck to paycheck and um, was introduced to Arbonne by my sponsor, Christy Dreiling. And oh. um, yeah, <laughs> so Christy sp Hello, personally Christy. sponsored me. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, so I, I have a pretty amazing upline myself. So um, yeah, and so now my uh, kids are uh, 19. She is a, Riley, my oldest, is a sophomore in college. She's now building her Arbonne business. She just promoted to district manager Arbonne's first level of management. And then um, my second daughter, Addison, is a senior in high school, so I'll officially have two that are in college next year. And then we adopted our son, Mateo, um, and he's been home for about seven years, and he was born in Guatemala. So I'm a mom of three and crazy busy life and amazing marriage. I've been married for 21 years to my handsome husband, Doug, and work from home, and um, he actually stays home as well. And so our kids have been able to have both parents pretty much full-time in the picture since um, they were little. Wow. I'm curious, what did Doug do before you became mega successful in Arbonne? He is a journeyman electrician by trade. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm also curious, and I'll bet the audience is too, what does he do during the day, retired, at home? Does he support you with your Arbonne business in some specific way, or how does he recreate and enjoy life? A few things. One, he does kind of the back end of the business in regards to like the financial side. So he works with our accountants and bookkeepers and all of, does the taxes and all the stuff that I don't enjoy doing. And then he has two parents that are older and they, their health isn't great and they have a farm about five minutes from us. So he spends a lot of time actually out at his parents' farm helping them. My daughter Addison shows sheep um, in uh, wow, FFA. Cool. Yes, so I married a 4-H'er, a and he um, helps her with that. So she, we don't have any sheep right now. They just sold them, and we have a little bit of a break, thank goodness. But, yeah, so he does uh, lots of stuff at home um, with me kind of when I need, need things. He'll kind of run around and go do things like that for me and do all the financials and then um, does, spends all the time with his family, and it's nice to be able to give them someone that they can always count on if anything goes wrong. Yeah, that is uh, what a beautiful opportunity that he can be five minutes away and has all the time in the world to be with them and support them. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So um, tell me about your uh, connection with Christy. Did you know her? And I think she lives, doesn't she live close to you? Like, yes. Tell us the story. How did yes. you know her? And this is I'm a good story. <laughs> I'm specifically interested in what did she say to you as, as specifically as you can remember that had you just take a look? Absolutely. Well, Christy actually came to the aerobic class that I taught. She would come in a couple times a week to my 5 a.m. class. 
And at the time, she was a photographer, and so sometimes she would bring her kids to my daycare, and I would watch her kids when she had a photo shoot. Um, so we kind of got to know each other a little bit in that way. We weren't like hangout friends where we hung out outside of that. It was mainly just through that. And she invited my aerobic class to an Arbonne party that she was hosting to earn product for free for her upline, uh, Linda Loveless, who was another right, amazing right. rock star. <laughs> right. I have a beautiful, amazing rock star upline. And um, <laughs> yes. so Linda was actually doing presenting um, at that party. Christy hadn't even signed up herself as a consultant. She was just hosting to earn product for free and invited me to come. I had struggled with acne most of my life, so I went very reluctantly with my arms crossed an hour before the presentation started because I wanted to hear the whole spiel, and I wanted to try everything and leave before anyone else saw me without my makeup on. So it was really that presentation that sold me on the product, and then a year, or excuse me, um, I bought it, and then like a couple weeks later, had so many people notice a difference that I decided that I wanted to earn product for free for myself. And so I hosted a party for Christy, and by that time she had signed up. So she signed up in February of 2002, and then on March 4th of 2002, so just a few weeks later, I hosted a party to earn product for free, but by the end of that first presentation, five people signed up as consultants to sell it on my team. And so I decided to sign up myself so they could be on my team. And that's kind of, it kind of just happened that way. I was a product user before I became a consultant. You know what's hilarious about this, Valerie, is I, I, when I interviewed Christy, which I don't know if that was a couple of years ago when it was, but uh, she told me the same story and I'd forgotten it. And uh, she credits your success with her success and doesn't Linda Lovelace live right there too? Yeah, Linda lives very close, so like maybe 20 minutes from us, yeah. And what's really, I think, amazing about the whole journey of just network marketing in general is Linda had been in Arbonne for seven years as an area manager, which is Arbonne's second level of management. And Christy's party, seven years later, was her very first party she ever presented at because she would only do one-on-ones before. And from that one party, Christy – became a consultant who became basically within a matter of months, all the hard work that Linda had been building for seven years consistently, just two months of having some, you know, I think Christy and I were both rock stars at the beginning, just that extra little bit of volume helped her and she became a vice president two months after we started. And then Christy a year later and me 18 months after starting. So it's just kind of funny how just you never know if you stay consistent and stay the course. Yeah, you could have an ace right around the corner. So that one party, ended up having a couple MVPs come from that directly. And if I remember correctly, before you engaged and started inspiring Christy, she was really struggling in life. Yes. She had, yes. she had some crazy things going on, and her success in Arbonne saved her life. Yeah. It, uh, it, she really was able to figure out her purpose and – be able to do amazing things because, yeah, yeah Arbonne. All right. So um, one of the things that we focus on in these hero calls that's important to me, um, so I'll rant here for a second, then I'll uh, ask you these questions. Um, you know, when, it, when, you, when you look at what does it really take to build a sales organization and get the geometric progressions, the compounding effect, of the sales organization that makes network marketing unique. The fact that you can sponsor four or five people and they can sponsor four or five people, which all of a sudden gives you 20 or 30 new people on your second generation. And if they do the same thing, then you've got hundreds. If they do the same thing, you've got thousands. You know, the, the, the rule in network marketing that every distributor or consultant or member or whatever you call them in your company has the right, has the opportunity to build a sales team from day one. That is what creates the compounding effect in network marketing. And so not everybody comes in wanting to earn a thousand a month or two thousand a month or five thousand dollars a month or more. But the people that do want to earn that kind of income, it seems to take them a long time to accept, if they ever do, 
that we are in one sense, one sense, in the recruiting business. We are in another very real sense in the product or service business. In the case of Arbonne, you're in the skincare and nutrition business. And <clears throat> so that's for sure. But, you know, if Arbonne only had one distributor, Arbonne as a company would be selling about $500 a month <laughs> worth of product. And the way Arbonne sells whatever you guys sell, eight or $900 million a year worth of product, is through hundreds and hundreds of thousands of distributors. And how do you get all those distributors? Because everybody has the opportunity from day one to build a sales team. So the sooner people come to realize that the way they're going to get a sales team is by front-loading their, um, their sales team with people that they personally enroll. And when I use the word front-loading, I don't mean with product. I mean front-loading their numbers so that you have enough people in the pipeline, you have enough people, like in the case of Linda Lovelace, where she had not really done much for seven years, and the case of Christy Drilling, where she'd been in Arbonne, but she hadn't really done anything yet. And you've got to have enough people percolating in that pipeline so that the people who are going to go build a sales organization kind of come out the other side. So, you know, the idea that you can personally sponsor four people, uh, four associates, and expect that they're, they're going to go build your sales team for you just doesn't work because 95% of the people are not motivated enough to go build their own sales team. So you, the reason I set it up this way, um, is, uh, Valerie, is because looking at your stats, you came right out of the box personally enrolling enough people every month and every year to fill that pipeline with possibilities, yeah. filling the pipeline with possibilities. And then if you fill it with enough possibilities, what pops are people like you people who get it, people who have a vision, people who have an internal conversation. I can do this. And they actually go out and do it. And unfortunately, that's only about one out of 10, maybe one out of 15 people. So you gotta, you got to recruit a lot of people to find the people like you. Yeah. And my question is to you, how did you do that? More importantly, why did you do it? But would you cover both of those? Why did you that you needed to recruit a bunch of people, how did you give yourself permission to do that? And how did you do it? Well, I think it's almost twofold because now knowing what I know 15 years into a network marketing business, I know exactly why you should sponsor like I was sponsoring. But at the beginning, it was kind of ignorance on fire, to be honest with you. I really was not familiar with network marketing, but I needed money. And so I got into activity. And back then, 15 years ago, our primary reach out method was in home group presentations. And so I was able to get in front of anywhere between eight to 10 people at one time and do a presentation and exactly what you just said, you know, you may get, have eight to 10 people at the presentation, maybe one or two would express some interest in the business. But if you're consistent, if I was doing three to four presentations a week times four weeks, you know, and I have one to two people at each of those presentations that have some kind of interest that I could follow up with them, surely I'm going to have at least one to two people actually sign up and decide to join me in my business. And so typically what I have found is that what you're doing you know, now will play out in your business two and three months from now. So there's lots of follow-up and kind of a dating process in a way where you're, you know, going through those um, levels of exposure. But I think that the reason it is so important to sponsor consistently yourself is exactly what you just said. People, the majority of the people that get involved with Arbon get excited. They're, you know, inspired by the vision that's been casted. But at the end of the day, you know, I do find that the majority don't have the willingness to do it. They want it, but they're not willing. And I, at the beginning, I needed the money and I was willing to do what it took. And so that meant that I needed to have, I learned that if I had a one group presentation and on the average, this is about as money, much money as I could make. And so I figured, okay, well, if I have 
three presentations a week, then I can increase that times four weeks. And so I kind of got a, a strategy together. And so that's my how was really increasing my activity and my exposure, exposures of being around people that had skin and hair, you know, that mm -hmm. I could at least present to. And then it was my follow-up with all of those people that I was meeting where I was able to find people that were interested in taking a look at the business. And then just I would follow up with them and answer questions and back and forth. And yeah, so now as a national vice president, and I've been MVP for 13 years out of my 15 with Arbonne, I know how important it is to be consistent with your activity because the more you present, the better your presentation gets, the more confident and comfortable you're going to be presenting to people. Um, I think people will be more, uh, you're definitely more believable because they see that you're out there doing the do and you know what you're talking about. And you know, at the beginning, I mean, I don't want to, I hate using this word fake it till you make it, but at the beginning, I didn't know everything but I was passionate and excited about the opportunity. And it was my passion and my excitement that got other people excited. I was 25 years old selling anti-aging, which isn't easy to do at 25. Right. You know, yep. Now I'm 40, and it's a little bit easier for me to talk about that. But. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's um, what you shi uh, shine light on here, Valerie, is that it's really not that hard to catapult yourself into the top 1% of your company, even the one top one-tenth of 1% 1 of your company, just do the work. Just do what the system that, you know, the beautiful thing about network marketing is somebody in your upline, may not be your sponsor yet, may not be your sponsor ever, but somebody in your upline, three levels up, five levels up, ten levels up, somebody in your upline is earning the kind of dream money that you want to earn. And they have a system, a business plan that you can follow. And it's probably not very complicated, you know? One class a week, two classes a week, three classes a week, and follow up, and follow up, and follow up. And, and if you do that for a couple of years like you did, so folks, listen to her numbers. Valerie personally enrolled, on average, five people a month for four years. So that's like 240, I think 240 personally sponsored people. Yeah. But look at what that resulted in. 20 of those 240 people are current leaders building successful sales organizations for Valerie. And, and you've got like, I don't know, spout some numbers. You've got all kinds of you know, everybody won't know what a vice president is or a national yeah. vice president, or, but you've got all kinds of people that are earning, you know, a full-time income, and, you yeah. know, you've got all kinds of multimillionaires on your team yeah. out of that. We, I think uh, we looked at this not too long ago, and since I've been with Arbonne, and this is a little lesson in itself, but I've been with Arbonne for 15 years, my entire success line has promoted out at least 100 vice presidents total, and, you know, that varies. Like you said, it's basically a full-time income to some a six-figure income. But what's interesting about that is, like you said, not everyone's going to stay. So it looks like we have about, out of all of those, when we tried to figure out through my success line, somewhere roughly around 60 vice presidents in my whole success line that have stuck it out. But we have eight national vice presidents, so eight of me in my organization, and two of them are direct to me. So, I mean, if that kind of gives you a national vice presence, our, our top level in Arbonne's company. Yeah. So, so out of your 200, 240 of the people that you said, hey, I got an opportunity that will change your life, two of them actually, I mean, I don't know what a national vice president of Arbonne earns, but uh, I know it's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire asset in building yes. the business. I mean, it is, it is wealth building at its finest, two of those people, I mean, the ultimate dream came true as it did for you, and 20 of them are, are making great money. Some of them well, and what, rock star money. What I think is even really cool about the two National Vice Presidents Direct to Me, I did not personally sponsor either of the two. They actually, I sponsored someone who sponsored someone, and because of, like what you said, people will fall away, and that's what happened. And so I ended up, 
they became direct to me. So through our, yep. yeah. So. Yep. I mean, it's uh, it is amazing um, how people do quit three feet from gold. They quit. Oh yeah. And they even have a <laughs> they have a team under them, and um, they quit, and then people go on to catch fire, just like Linda Lovelace. I mean, yeah. how many people above Linda Lovelace quit? because they weren't seeing enough happen, and then all of a sudden Linda's organization ex explodes. Exactly. And you did all this, Valerie. Uh, you speak to it however you want. But I think it's important for people to note that, okay, you've been, I said 25 years, but you've only been doing this 15 years. But in that 15 years, if I have my chronology right, the first – seven or eight years would have been like a wonderful wild ride for Arbonne. And then a couple of years of real big challenge for yep. the whole company where perhaps a lot of people left and a yep. lot of people lost faith, but you didn't and your team didn't and you powered through it. And now Arbonne is back to even bigger and better than it ever was. Yep. You want to speak to that? Absolutely. Well, I was, um, I think you said it perfectly. I mean, it was seven years of, I mean, definitely I was in the trenches, you know, working my business consistently all those years and had some amazing leaders come into my organization. Um, one in particular, I think it was probably around maybe 2011, where, or 2010, 2011, where I had one of the top leaders in our, in Arbonne's company, like in our entire company, was in my organization and chose to leave and go with another company. And when she did, there were a lot of people in Arbonne that left and went with her to another company. And, you know, for me, I love my organization. I love Arbonne. I love the product. I love the team. I loved everything about it. And there wasn't an option for me to leave. I run, my business was still doing great even when she made that decision to leave. And so I did stay the course and I reached down within her organization and I locked arms with them and made sure that they felt comfortable and coached and you know, even though they were a part of her downline and she left, they still had a great relationship with me. And so I do think that there, it is important to still work within the leaders in your organization, even down. Every, obviously, every business is going to be a little bit different. But with ours, definitely it was worth it for me to dig down and work with my leaders. And because I did that, because you know, I stayed the course and I didn't quit and I never gave up on them and I just breathed hope and life into all of them and let them know that Arbonne was going to be fine, uh, the majority stayed. And the ones that stayed within her organization are doing better, if not, you know, soaring than where they were when she made the decision to leave. And we have right. so many new leaders since then that joined after that they don't even know her name because, right. you know, so many years have, have went by. So. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's a great story to endorse that if, if you're going to do something for 15, 20, 30 years, what you can expect is some degree of roller coaster. It's not always going to be, um, you know, Disneyland. There's going to be crisis. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be challenges. And if you keep your view on your long-range vision and you, you look at it like a marathon, you can lead your way through anything if you look at it like a sprint, uh, you might get distracted and have to start over, which is no fun for anyone. So, um, Valerie, tell me this. In, in your 15 years, um, what is the biggest mistake that you have made? And it could show up like this. It could be a one-time blunder. I've made a lot of those, usually with my mouth I make those mistakes. Uh, or it could be a bad habit. Uh, and it may not just be money. It may not be a business impact financially. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's integrity. Maybe it's business strategy. 
Maybe it's something around how you built strategically. What's the biggest mistake you've made in the last 15 years? I would know off the top of my head what I would say, and that's I didn't have the best balance in my business. And that affected many areas of my life, including my business, my health, my family. Um, in 2010, I actually had a stroke um, in the middle of an Arbonne presentation when I was out of state, was life flighted to the Cleveland Clinic. And, you know, I, that happened, I think, at the time, it was because I was trying to, I, my intentions were good. I was trying to help too many people. I was in the process of a three-and-a-half-year-long adoption, you know, process for, to get my son home from Guatemala, and I think I was stressed there, and so I just dove into other areas of my life and kind of over, overcompensated, to be honest with you. I think I dove into my business and dove into fitness a little bit more um, than I probably should have and kind of went to a little bit of extreme and didn't take care of my body. And um, that happened. Luckily, I was able to fully recover. But the reason I said it affected my business is because there were people I think that had been watching me. And I, I know people watch me now that are not a part of my organization, but people will watch you. They watch what you do. They watch how you live your life. Um, they watch the lifestyle that you have. And it, I wasn't as aware of that. I think I wanted it so much for my team. I wanted success so much for them that I enabled them, and I would do too much for them. And what I've learned is I basically was saying to them, I don't believe in you that you can't do it. So I'm going to come and do it for you. Like you don't have the skills necessary to do it, so I'm going to come do it for you. So I would fly everywhere. You know, if someone needed me, I'd fly there, and I'd go do this and that. And, and honestly, there was a time in my business during that particular period where I had some struggles, and it was because I had a lot of leaders that I think had amazing potential, but they didn't feel confident enough in their skills because I – didn't give them the opportunity to be able to step up and do it on their own. I think I did too much for them, and in turn, it you know kind of slowed down um, a little bit of the growth that I think that some of my leaders would have had. I think that people that were watching me from the sidelines that maybe would have joined my business if they saw me having a little bit more balance in my life um, and to see a little bit more of my lifestyle where I am able to relax and be home and do things with the kids. I think if I was able to show that a little bit more, I would have had more people attracted to my business back then. Now, the biggest lesson you know, from that is I know the importance of taking care of your body and making sure that you put your oxygen mask on first and I keep my family uh, number one priority there. I mean, well, I'm number one and my family is right behind me because if I can't take care of my family, if I don't take care of myself and, you know, I make sure that, you know, my family's agenda schedule, whatever is on my calendar. And then I book my business around that and I don't go jump on a plane to go work with someone unless they have proven that they are serious about their business and they're willing to have me be busy in an activity. And gosh, now we have social media and so much technology that I would say the good majority of what I do right now is using Zoom and conference calls and Skype and FaceTime and you know, all the social media outlets to really be able to connect with my leaders and potential prospects. Yeah, I mean that whole enabling. I mean, you described it as being out of balance, but it sounds like the mistake that threw you out of balance was the mistake of enabling. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's a classic one. And, you know, I think probably every person I've ever interviewed that's had meteoric, meteoric success, you know, somewhere in there they spent a phase of their time helping people um, because they wanted it more for those people than those people wanted it for themselves. They were more committed to people's success than people were committed themselves. And there are great lessons to learn from nature, watching how nature nurtures the young up to a certain point and then boots them out. And... They either learn how to hunt, they either learn how to swim, they either learn how to fly, or they don't. And, you know, we, I think as leaders we tend to have this, this story that if, if everyone doesn't succeed, if, if people fail, that we're responsible, that we look bad. And so we want everyone to succeed. We want our business to be 
Disneyland. And it's not. It's business. And the fact is, 95% of the people that we put in our business aren't even business people. They're not entrepreneurs. They come from an employee background. And it's a very challenging transition for them to um, not only want it bad enough, but believe in themselves enough to step up and, and jump into the abyss of leadership and, and business and serving people and failing forward, if you will. And so that's a huge lesson for all of you listening um, it's an art. So, you know, your first question might be, well, when do I kick them out of the nest? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not a book on that. It's an art. And the only yeah. way you learn it, I think, is by making mistakes. And you kind of you kind of create, don't you think, Valerie, an intuition about, yes. you know, when yes. is the time to let them go? I, I've learned that the quickest, the, the quicker that you can get them presenting and doing some things on their own, the better they're going to be. My, one of my best leaders in my entire organization, my, one of my strongest teams in Canada actually came because I, well, I did three years of follow-up with her. She finally signed up, but she promoted the first level of management before I had even flown to Canada. She went out there and did what she needed to do, and so that right there was a great like she was proving to me that she was serious about it. She was out working her business when I wasn't physically there um, touching it or I had nothing to do with like, you know, the actual, you know, volume that was going on in her organization. It was because of her effort. So, yeah, I think that, you know, you just basically have to, um, you know, if I do a presentation with a new consultant to launch them, the first time they're watching what I'm doing, I have them share, you know, their story and why they decided to start. But I present so they're watching me and learning. And the second time, I'm going to give them a couple more parts of my presentation that they're going to then present along with their story. And then from there, the third time, they're on their own. They're doing it, and I'm there watching them. So that's typically what I do. Beautiful. That's a great system. So tell us about Mateo. This is like part of you know, anything else you want to tell us about all right, what's, what's it like on the other side, the other side of, you know, personally sponsoring five people a month for four years and following up for, with people for three years and going through, you know, major upheavals in your company? What's it like on the other side 15 years later with total financial freedom? And I imagine a team that continues to grow things like Mateo become come up on your radar and and become possible tell us about him and that whole process that sounded yeah. like it wasn't wasn't easy and and what else you're doing with your life okay well i my husband and I started the process of adopting Mateo back in october of 2006 he was born in march of 2007 and was assigned to us in may of 2007 when he was just like 6 weeks old but Guatemala shut down adoption. Oh, why, why we chose you, to adopt? Yes. Um, kind of a, a little TMI, but my husband had had a vasectomy <laughs> when my daughter was uh, <laughs> six months old. Sorry, but that's what happened. And he did not want to get it reversed. He was afraid that it would not work. So <laughs> he um, did not want to go there. So we had talked about it for a long time. And we chose Guatemala because it was close to the U.S. And we would be able to, as he got older, if he wanted to go back, we could travel there so he could still you know, keep his culture a part of who he was. And um, so that's why we chose Guatemala. But um, as luck would have it, he was assigned to us, and I'm a pretty driven, headstrong person. And in the middle of our process, Guatemala shut down adoptions, international adoptions. 5,000 babies were in process of being adopted. He was one of them. Um, they shut down January 1st of 2008, and um, we heard nothing. We had no idea what to do. They still are not open, just so you know. It's still, what, 2017, Guatemala still shut down. 
but myself and other moms, uh, I think there was also fathers involved, but like I, it was me and my family and a lot of other moms were, we just found each other on the internet, um, on blogs or whatever, and we were able to luckily process our adoption and get it to go through in like a grandfathered in process. And he was one of the last 100 children to come home through this grandfathered in process. And what's so beautiful about his story, um, you know, we talk a lot of times about, you know, how every, you know, thing that we do, every, there's a lesson, you know, to be learned and everything. And, you know, yes, during that three and a half year long period, it was heartbreaking. I felt like I was pregnant for three and a half months. You know, why my family? Why did it have to happen to us? Um, why was our adoption one of those cases that they talk about? Um, but if I would not have traveled back and forth to Guatemala six times, because I was blessed that I could afford to do that and build a relationship with him during that time, I got to know the other kids at the orphanage where he was at, and I knew I had a tug on my gut that I wanted to do something to help them because I knew that they would not be adopted and they would grow up in orphanages or on the streets, who knows what. And so I came back home after, well, after Mateo came home in 2010, in 2012, I decided I wanted to go on a mission trip, and we went back. I had about 13 of my Arbonne friends that, on my team that came with me, and we went on our first mission trip through another organization, and I just felt very called after I came home to start a nonprofit. So I started my nonprofit called For the Love of Mateo because it was the love that I had for my son during those three and a half years that kept me fighting for him when everyone else was telling me to quit and give up and all the dream stellers and everybody, even my own husband, and I love him to death, but he'll tell you. I mean, he was one of the – thought we were getting scammed, and, but I kept going, which kind of goes right along with what we deal with in our business. Um, but my son is here. You know, I would have never had the, the finances to afford an international adoption, much less one that took three and a half years to get him home. You know, we had to hire attorneys and travel and just all that involved. But what's so beautiful about this whole story is that and I tell Mateo this all the time, that God has big plans for your life, but he literally, um, because of him being born and because of the adoption process, my nonprofit now funds the orphanage where he grew up. We um, have 11 outreach projects, everything from a teen mom home to an HIV positive um, home. We have multiple outreach projects or, out, out, excuse me, um, after school programs that we support. We've built a school. Um, we have a couple of sponsorship programs. We have scholarship programs. I mean, like, it's incredible uh, what has happened because of that whole journey. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do any of that. My son, who knows what his life would be like if I was not in Arbonne because I would have been able to afford to, ado to adopt, you know. And, you know, in, in June of, you know, every year I go to Guatemala. This last time I was able to go for three full weeks. So for three weeks straight, I led three mission teams back-to-back -back in Guatemala serving all of our projects. Um, my Arbonne paycheck continued to come. That's what's so beautiful. When you have a business that gives you the time leverage, you can do things like that. You know, my nonprofit has 12 mission teams a year now that go into Guatemala and serve our projects, but I personally lead three weeks full, straight, back-to-back -back in June, and I still continue to receive my Arvon paycheck. You know, my dad, you know, this is another really beautiful thing about this whole story. My dad is 63 years old. He, they, my mom and dad had six kids, never had money growing up. Uh, I think a lot of the reasons I am today is because of how I was raised, and, you know, just, that's kind of what happens a lot of times. And my dad uh, always had multiple jobs, never had extra money. And at, for his 60th birthday present, I gave him, um, I paid for his, trip to Guatemala to come with me on the mission trip. My dad looks a little bit like Santa Claus and Jerry Garcia, so if you can imagine what that looks like, that's what my dad looks like. And I grew up with my dad saying, I love you, maybe a couple times that I remember. We just didn't have a very close relationship. And when he went to Guatemala, my dad, just his entire life changed. He I can't even, he can't even talk about Guatemala without crying. He goes to Guatemala with me now every single time I go. He's going for an entire month on a mission trip um, himself. He's just staying there for a month and going to go serve all of our projects while he's there. And my dad says, like, you know, my daughter changed my life. This opportunity changed my life. And so not only did it immediately change, you know, my life, my son's life, thousands of people in my organization's life that get to go take their families on vacations and have amazing life you know, experiences, but I've been able to pay that forward and, and gift trips, you know, to my family. My mom was able to go to Prince Edward Island with all of her daughters, and on her 60th birthday, I gave that to them. Like, to be able to 
do things like that and provide people with experiences outside of Paola, Kansas. Like I am so passionate about travel and I love being able to gift that to people and, um, you know, to know that, that my dad was able to find his purpose, you know, so even though Mateo, his life could have went so, you know, a totally different direction, you know, his little life changed the lives of thousands and thousands of people. Um, so, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I, you say what Arbonne's done for me. I mean, that's really just, I, I would say the travel, the ability to be able to, you know, help other people when things come up in my community or with my family. Um, if I, if so, I see someone post something that, you know, they need something or something happened to their family and I can, I can be that extra person that gives them those extra funds just to kind of get by. And it's not like I'm out writing checks for everybody, but, you know, if I feel a tug in my gut that I need to do something, I will and I can. And that's the good part is that I have the ability that I can do that. Beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, well, you just encapsulate, encapsulated the beauty of why would somebody do the work for four years of talking to lots of people, enrolling lots of people, knowing most of them aren't going to do anything, and having the courage to lead the ones that will, why would, you, why would you do all that? Why would you throw yourself out of, out of balance for three or four years? Because what's on the other side is out of balance abundance. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing the gift that this kind of income and, and leadership lessons and culture, I mean, you know, there's lots of people, Valerie, that make rock star type network marketing income but they have a business that owns them. Yeah. You know, they're at the office 14 hours a day or they're commuting or, you know, they have to travel 20 days a month. And, you know, I just, I just met somebody. I say I had, a, had somebody in a workshop I was doing in Honolulu that commuted from Honolulu to Connecticut twice a month. Twice a month, she flew from Honolulu to Newark, changed planes, flew to Connecticut, turned around and flew back, and then 10 days later had to do it again. She's been doing it for two years. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that kills, that's the kind of stuff that kills people, is that kind of stress, that kind of workload, just to try to make a decent living. Yeah. We are very fortunate, very, very fortunate, um, so a couple other other questions. One of the things that you said in uh, your little survey that you sent back to me is how you use the four-year career, and I want I want to ask you about that because Arbon is the second uh, largest consumer uh, promoter and user of that book in the network marketing profession. And you guys have been using it for a long time, the custom edition where all the stories in the back of the book are Arbon stories. Could you tell us how you use it and what impact you think it has? Yes. I used a few different ways. Number one, we recommend it to our entire success line. I think the concept is so amazing. Long before my story was ever featured in the back of the book, that private edition, I read the book. I purchased it, bought it for myself, loved it. It really helped me to be able to explain to other people how what they're doing on a regular basis, and I can kind of compare it to what I do in network marketing. And so I love the whole concept behind the four-year career. So we definitely use that within our success lines, and it helps them to understand the network marketing, I guess, industry and like the whole concept better. But then, too, we use it with prospects. And so many of my prospects that I meet with, um, you know, they have questions that I think can really be addressed in the four-year career. I think you did a great job of just giving you know, that whole concept, working 40, 40 year, 40 hour, I mean, just it's crazy. And so many people work every single 
week. I mean, every single month, every single year, just paycheck to paycheck, the same old thing, and then they have to retire, and then they're living on half of, less than half, you know, of what they um, were making when they couldn't even make ends meet before. And so just showing people how, you know, by, you know, getting involved in a network marketing business and how this industry can really, just even working at part-time right now, could put, the, put them in a situation that when they do retire, that, you know, they're going to have this little nest egg that they can have built up, or they can use it to supplement their income, you know. So we use it with our prospects a lot, too. I typically will have them read the first few chapters. Um, there is um, – there are just a, the first few chapters, especially I think for a, a potential prospect. Now, once someone makes a decision that they want to do it, obviously I'm going to recommend that they read the whole book. But I definitely think the prospects, um, you know, really can get a good a good grasp of what this industry is about um, with your book. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, it's been a good long relationship, and uh, you know, I just I notice every day Arbon leaders order bundles of books, and so. It must be working. Repeat for them. That's good to know. Um, sometimes on these hero calls, uh, I turn the tables. I'm going to give you the last word in this call, so I'm going to ask you one more question before we wrap up. But um, sometimes I turn the tables. You don't get to plan because you don't know this is coming. So it has <laughs> to come intuitively. Um, do you have a question for me that the answer to which you think will serve your audience? Yes. Yes, I do. I would be curious myself, and I think that people would want to know, just like I think sometimes people want to know about me being in for 15 years, and I know that you've been involved in the network marketing industry for, I don't even know how long, but forever. <laughs> well, I think I, I'm as old as you are maybe. I think that this would be a question that a lot of people would want to know is where you're at now in your life and with what you've built and all the things that you do, how much time do you devote to your business? And do you feel like it's definitely a different look than what it used to look like? Even when you were maybe, you know, promoted to the top level and, you know, at the peak of that, I mean, do you feel like, because I think that sometimes people have that misconception of, okay, you, you arrive and you can kind of take a break or whatever, but like I'm just curious for you, like what that would look like, because I think people would want to know that. Well, my story is, um, uh, you know, different than perhaps everybody listening on this call. So the reality is I, I focused 100% on building my own team for my first eight years uh, in network marketing. I was just a distributor. I became one of the most successful distributors in my company. I had 30,000 people on my team by the time I was 28 years old. Um, and then that company actually recruited me in crisis. They went into crisis and they recruited me to run the company. And that's kind of a bizarre story about why and how. But anyway, I did that for three years. And then that gave me a unique experience that not many people even today have in network marketing in that I had built my own successful sales organization, which I still had, and I was the CEO of a network marketing company. And so I had this uh, balance of experience. And uh, so at the end of that period, for reasons of alignment and value and culture uh, and philosophy, I decided not to build in that company anymore, but I still had a great residual income. And I didn't retire because I was only like 31 years old, but I did rest for a year. And then I found an opportunity to run a company, not be a distributor, but run a company. And that resulted in me owning the company. I ended up buying the company and acquiring it through transactions, which I did for 30 years. Um, and then earlier this year, I sold that company to another network marketing company, a very large network marketing company. And now Kimmy and I, uh, are distributors in that company. So, you know, it, if, if I would have just stayed a distributor through my entire career, I think the answer to your question, Valerie, is 
you know, I, I had a coaching session with a gal uh, who came to one of our retreats last week here in Hawaii, spent about an hour with her because she was different than most of the people at the retreat. She's been building her business for five years, six years, uh, but she has almost 100,000 people on her team. And she doesn't need to recruit any more people. She has a huge business. And so her question is, what do I do now? What do I do next? And so, you know, this is the kind of business that technically you can fully retire from. I mean, as long as you meet your, your requirements of ordering whatever product and being a customer. I mean, why should the company pay you a ton of money if you're not even a customer? So as long as you're ordering, being a customer, as long as you're maintaining your, fulfilling your customer's needs, uh, a person can retire from network marketing f for sure. I think the question to ask is why would you? You know, why would you quit doing something that uh, gives so much to you and gives so much to other people? You know, she said, you know, should I prospect people? I said, well, you don't need to prospect anybody, but why wouldn't you? I mean, what do you do with the person you're sitting on a plane with? <laughs> What do you do with somebody who reaches out to you on social media and connects? Don't you, wouldn't you just tell your story? And so, you know, I think what a leader does that has gotten to a place where maybe they want to rest or maybe they feel like they've arrived, I think the question to ask yourself is, you know, do you have to personally sponsor five people a month? Of course not. But the question to ask is, would you avoid sponsoring somebody because you've arrived? I would trust that the answer to that is not. I would trust that you would tell people your story. You would ask them the intuitive curiosity questions that would honor them and have them feel like you're interested in them, which you should be, and which can, you know, high likely possibility they would want to know enough about you and your story that they would enroll. And do you personally sponsor them? Well, maybe not if your role is that you're really not going to be available for them to support them at the level that they need to be supported. So maybe you match them up with somebody that will support them. But I think the role of people that have made it is and from a leadership standpoint is just different. I think I think the epitome of it, Valerie, is, you know, what are you doing this weekend? You know, you're taking two of your top leaders to Savannah to hang out with you, hang out with another very successful Arbonne leader in a one of the most beautiful places in the world, just rich with culture and fashion and food and ambiance and and you're going to wine them and dine them and you're going to coach them and you're going to listen to them and you're going to edify them and you're going to celebrate them. And, you know, that's what a network marketing leader that has arrived ought to do. You know, yeah. part, of, part of this conversation I had with this gal is, you know, I said, well, you know, tell me what you, you know, what do you want to do? What are your dreams? What, what do you want? What's like important to you? And, she says, you know, well, you know, we want, we want to, like, vacation in Hawaii. And, you know, she has, as you know, at this level, 100,000 people on her team. She has more money than she knows what to do with. I said, well, why don't you buy a home in Hawaii and turn it into a retreat center and, you know, gift it to your top sales leaders and hold retreats? And, and you know, she just like, wow, really? Could I? Of course you can. That's what, that's what expressing leadership is or like what you've done. How about you go sponsor an entire orphanage and start taking your leaders down there for an opportunity to change their life like you did the, your dad. Your dad's life, what a great interview he would be. Is, is he even a distributor? Like no, actively. actually, you know what? He just signed up after me being in Arbonne 15 years. Just this month, he signed up under my daughter. <laughs> my daughter who's yes. building a business. Okay. But as a, he signed up as a customer. He's just he's using the product for himself and my mom. Not yeah, for, but he's how not about selling. if I ask him, what has Arbonne meant to you? And the story that he would tell about what he saw yes. in Guatemala and how it changed his life at the age of 63. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how powerful is that? And so, 
these are the things that successful leaders ought to be doing. They, here's, um, I actually wrote about this yesterday and something else I was doing, but there's this, you know, there's this um, concept in network marketing that some people get and some people don't. That when you are successful, what you want to realize, what you want to appreciate is that you are successful, yes, because of your initial efforts primarily. I mean, probably 90% of it is how did you prime the pump the first 24 months? Everything after that is other people's ambition combined with yours. Now, how did you prime the pump? But if you're five, six, seven, ten years down the road and you're making twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a month, what you have to realize is your success is made up. And this is something I think really important. Pay close attention to what I'm going to say here. Your success is made up of a whole bunch of people who believed in you, believe in your products, believe in your company, and their dreams are yet to be fulfilled. Yes. So for you to, quote, unquote, retire and leave them in an unfulfilled state has the flavor of abandonment to it and selfishness. And, you know, I think the full circle of what leaders ought to do in network marketing when they've handled their own finances is just – Focus, focus, focus on how do I get as many other people to experience what I've experienced? And as you know, Valerie, that attitude is actually the most powerful attitude you can have from day one. But people do tend to have a focus a little bit more on, okay, I need to rank advance, I need to get my money until they get enough money, whatever enough is. Yes. But then how do you motivate yourself after you get enough? Well, quit focusing on your car and your house and your bank account and start focusing on the people that got you there Yes. that are not there yet. Because if you leave them, you know, what you built could go backwards. It's possible. Yes. That was so good. Long it. So you, get the, you have the last word, and here's what I want you to speak to for a couple of minutes, whatever you want. Um, I want you just to imagine, Valerie, that there are, um, I don't know how many people are listening. Well, this is now a podcast, so people listen whenever they want. But um, um, so people are listening, you know, next week, they're listening next month. Uh, I find it kind of intriguing to think that people are listening five years from now to this interview and maybe they live in some town like Paola, Kansas, and maybe they live in Guatemala or maybe they live in Africa or maybe they live in Europe. And, and they're at that place where they're wanting so badly to believe. They're wanting so badly to muster up the courage and the motivation to tell their story with reckless abandon without caring what people think about them. What would you say to them if you had one shot at inspiring them to do what it takes? I would say you can't let your fear of wondering what if be bigger than your why or the whys of those future people whose lives you will change. So, yeah, I would say just whatever your dream is, whatever um, your passion is, anything is possible if you are willing to put your time in and to do the do and be coachable and all the things I know that you've heard on all of Richard's hero calls. I mean, like, all you have to do is stay the course. And if you do that, you can change the lives of tens of thousands of people. It's just the balls in your court. And no matter what anyone says, dream stillers, regardless of um, any naysayers that you have around you that say that you can't do it, I'm here to tell you that I am an everyday average person 
And if I can do it, coming from a town of 5,000 people where everyone I knew was in my income bracket or below, which was poor back then, then you can do it. My why and my dreams and my passions were bigger than any fear and any anxiety that I had. And that's what I focused on. I focused on my dreams and that ultimate goal. I just little step, little step, wait for the opportunity. Little step, little step, wait for the opportunity. I just did the do and the outcome came because I stayed the course and I did not give up and I learned from every single lesson, every speed bump. You know, I grew a big old fat rubber butt over the years and had the ability to bounce back up each time and became stronger and a better leader for it. So hopefully that answered your question. It did profoundly. Valerie Edwards, you are a gift to our profession, uh, and everybody, I'm sure, with which, with whom you come in contact, you are, you are a great gift of love and inspiration. Congratulations on your success. Thank you for joining us for a Bliss Business Hero call, and I trust, ladies and gentlemen, you got some huge nuggets from her, and so thank you for joining us, and We'll see you on the next Bliss Business Hero Call. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. If you are inspired and are ready to create your own success story, then it is time to take advantage of some of the top network marketing tools available. Pick up the top recruiting tool that has prospects saying yes the four-year career and the four-year career for women. Get your mindset right. Without a clear vision, success is lost. Check out the best-selling book on vision, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Learn to think like a successful person with this step-by-step -step guide on how to break through your self-imposed limitations. Mach 2 Vision Training is a 90-minute four-part video training where you get Richard to walk you through crafting your vision. It's a must for anyone looking to step outside the box and hit the ground running. For 10% off your order, use the discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles. This success story is not typical. It is meant to inspire you and show you what's possible. It is not what you should expect to accomplish. Your income will depend entirely on you, your commitment, your work ethic, your leadership, and your ability to acquire customers and inspire sales leaders to join your team. Most people who start off intending to build a sales team do not maintain their motivation to continue. 